What's up, what's up, what's up? You are listening to another episode of Modern Guild. Thank you for checking us out, having us saved on your phone. That sounds so old school. <laughs> having an MP3 file saved on your mobile device. Oh, take me back. Fucking rad. Yeah, well, uh, <laughs> no, thanks for uh, subscribing, I guess. Um, here we are, episode 34. Yeah. It's a sunny but somewhat cool Monday morning in Brisbane, 8 a.m. Nice breeze running through the living room right now. So I think maybe we're reaching the uh, the end of the oppressive Queensland summer. What? Oh, fuck, it's February. Ugh. Mid-February at that. It's mid-February. Oh, God. Hey, it's okay, dude. February didn't ever do anything for you. No, I just can't believe that it's the end of summer. I've only just cottoned on, you know, cottoned well, on. Yeah. Whatever. No, um, that's a thing that people say. Yeah. Okay. I don't know why, but it is. Yeah, we'll do a pod on it ep- next episode. Oh, I'm sure it's so uninteresting. <laughs> Fuck. All right. Holy shit. Yeah, no, well, I guess I guess it's all coming to a close. This is this is horrible because this means that I need to find out how to get the fuck away from um, the harsh winter that, uh, you know, fragile, mm. um, sensitive souls like myself just can't handle. Australia beckons. Whoa, fuck, I'm keen, man. <laughs> but we are in uh, self-imposed jail again. So. Oh, yeah, I saw that. What, what happened in New Zealand? Like a soft lockdown? Uh, I don't know. People were probably asking too many questions about housing and they found a few COVID cases to fucking... Shut everybody up. (laughs) (laughs) Just wheel them out of the basement. Hey, these guys have COVID. Walk around for a little bit. Yeah, just got some mouth breathers to fucking run around Auckland and and shut it down for three days. So that takes over. In all seriousness, though, did you do you know what happened, or is it just like yeah, someone flew in from somewhere and they have COVID and nah, it's one of those like community cases that come out of nowhere and they're just sort of like shutting everything down because they're worried it's going to be um the new super covid with extra virulence Virulence. yeah right extra that sounds like the right word yeah yeah Yeah, sure um the thing that i'm always surprised about that every time these fucking community transmission cases pop up you find out that these people are like ridiculously active like they're just fucking everywhere you know they have the travel log of these guys and they've been (laughs) yeah yeah They've been like all over the North Island, which is just insane. You know, and for context, everyone who hasn't been to New Zealand or know what it is, um, it's like that. That's a significant amount of traveling. Like they've effectively spent four or five days visiting every possible uh, place you could go if you're going to spread COVID. Like supermarkets across yeah. the fucking North Island, like multiple home renovation areas and it's just like the new zealand equivalent of going from like you know uh boston to new york to philly to baltimore to dc and doing like a little little trip to indiana back to massachusetts or something but just stopping (laughs) at every populated um you know shopping center along the way Mm. so anyway that's essentially as, as much as i know we get these um heinously dystopian fucking texts where your phone just starts going like and then it comes up and it says warning 
government-imposed lockdown. I saw started. people talking about that on the New Zealand subreddit, and I was oh, like, whoa, that sounds interesting. It's so fucking unnerving. You'll just be chilling, and all of a sudden, you just get this, like, you know... Uh, I mean, it should be reserved for fucking bombs dropping. It's so unfair that they did, like, just, you know, smash that into people's Does the government places. somehow, like, override the settings on your phone, like, remotely, and make it... make that noise? I don't know. Um, they set it up... A couple of years ago, I think it was off the back of all the like earthquakes, you know, earthquakes and volcanoes that you suffer through from living here. Um, and yeah, I, I guess they must have some sort of back door into the phone that they can, you know, make it scream and buzz. Great news. That's just what you want. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we all knew it, right? So I'm yeah, surprised they don't use concerned. it for like the lead up to the final of the Rugby World Cup. Oh, they... Everyone, the All Blacks are about to play. Get on the fucking yeah, nuts. That's fucking not allowed pub. anymore. We're, we're not a rugby nation. We were back in the day. They probably would have. But What do you mean? Um, well, I, th I think that whole, that breed is dying. You know, it's going to no. be replaced with, with really? new activities. Yeah, man. Yeah, no, this is a changing country. That's unreal. Yeah. I don't believe you. I, I believe a lot of what you'll tell me, but I don't believe that. You don't believe the guy that barely leaves the house. <laughs> well, shame on you. Uh, rugby <laughs> um, is all New Zealand has, man. Yeah, but now we have farming and, and um, you know, US billionaires and, and tax haven status. So we're, nah, we're the, branching the, out. Rugby is the people's lotto. Yeah. No, um, you're New definitely Zealand. Right. Yeah, The proles right. feed on yeah. rugby. Um, yeah. um, they, I don't really have my hand on the pulse of new zealand i think I'm, I'm pretty fucking off it so within my small social circle mm. like it's rugby just, doesn't exist it doesn't really exist no yeah, one really well, talks about it but um <laughs> that's a, a a nice insight into your social circle <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i saw that new zealand had some fucking huge concert or something as well that people were talking about Really? Apparently, like... Oh, tell me about it. <laughs> over the weekend, they had the largest concert happening on Earth because there were, like, 32,000 people watching 660 or something. That's an, really? a band, right? Yeah, In sure. No, no, no. I didn't even hear about it. Where was I mean, it? they fucking suck, but yeah, I, I, I think they, they exist. Well. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, because, like, obviously, internationally, concerts aren't really happening. Um, so I think, I think the Super Bowl had, like, 32,000 people there which was technically a concert because of the halftime show. Yeah. And then this one in New Zealand was like 30,000 or I bet there like was that. like... Some stadium. Disgusting pollution of New Zealand arrogance coming off the back of that. Yeah. We've done such a good job. And then we get locked down. Boom. That's what you get for being too cocky. But, well, okay, where, where was that? I fucking don't even know about it. Um, again, uh, this is just how, like, not within... Uh, you know, New Zealand affairs, I am. I'm just trying to uh, check it out now. The only thing I'm up on is how fucking shitty our, like, New Zealand top 50 companies on the share market is doing. And that's like Oh, really? Are they, they New Zealand. Oh, they suck, man. They've just been in this, like, steady fucking dribble downwards, um, you know, basically <laughs> every single day. It's just, like, constantly losing money. Um, I don't even know why. Uh, like, I, I just feel like every other country is doing really well, and every day <laughs> we've been dropping like 0.5 percent on the fucking stock market. So that's yeah. good. Yeah, I like bought um, in, and now we're four percent down. So yeah, that sucks. Fucked up. Okay, so 
Another big weekend shaping up for Capital with good weather to shine on music and festivals. Um, <laughs> on the back of busy Wellington anniversary and Waitangi weekends, the good times are set to roll on with fine weather and top-notch events on the way. 660, which is the worst name for a band ever, is set to attract 30,000 people to Sky Stadium on Saturday for the penultimate leg of the band's six-date nationwide tour. Is Sky Stadium uh, the new Westpac Trust Stadium in Wellington? Is that what they've called it now? I guess so, yeah. So, yeah. So it's not even like um, an appealing event. It was just a 660 show, which sounds... Why did it get 32,000 people? That's crazy, you know? Oh, well. Yeah, that's really upsetting i feel sorry for everybody who had to be there i'm sure that you can uh whatever anyway yeah did you by any chance see the weekend's halftime show at the super bowl no no no, no. i'm pretty out of the loop on everything i mm. i am not dialed in but please tell me about it this is you're like my portal to the shit so uh i'm <laughs> pleased to serve uh but well honestly there's probably not that much to say um I like The Weeknd. I think he's a, an interesting guy, and I think he's like one of the only people making good pop music in the world. Yeah, um, big fan. You put me onto him back in the day. Back um, in the day, man. Yeah. Yeah, real big fan. One of my like uh, pretentious hipster points of pride is that I found The Weeknd when he had just put out his only EP and had done no press, and nobody in the world knew who he was because there were no press photos of him either, and he was That's just sick. making this like nocturnal dark cold music um as a yeah. as a poor drug addict living in toronto and i related a lot to that as a poor drug addict living in new zealand yeah <laughs> um, and anyway yeah super bowl he uh kind of killed it i thought it was it was dope i expected it to, to suck balls um i've I don't think I've ever watched another Super Bowl halftime show before, but uh, yeah, The weekend is legit. He did a good job. Still bumping um, good stuff. Yeah. Right. Uh, I also respect his ability to just make like massive pop hits that are universally appealing while all of his songs are still about being a coke and sex addict. Yeah, well, I mean, pretty good. there's a certain romance to that that's not going to die out. And it's more authentic than the Taylor Swift romances. Um, yeah, no, it's, the, it's beautiful. Yeah, I, I feel like that that's a timeless story because, you know, mm. like there's something about being a drug addict and then using that as a, an analogy for being, you know, obsessed with someone that tie in really well, I feel. Um, those two things mm. are essentially the same thing. So, you know, <laughs> uh, yeah, speaking I agree. of, um, did you have oh. a good Valentine's, Hayden? <laughs> Uh, we spent the entire week leading up to Valentine's Day discussing what we were going to do or if we were going to do anything. And then it was like Saturday before Valentine's Day and we're like, oh, so we haven't made any plans. I guess we're not doing anything. So we yeah. didn't. Um, and I was a bit of a Scrooge and was kind of like, well, we uh, probably have a mortgage to think about soon. And... Uh, you know, could well, put away a couple of extra dollars for that. So, you and the intellectual left in India uh, would agree on that. And that's generally been my <laughs> argument, you know. So I'm glad to side I'm, with them. You know? I'm and they know happy to know that the I have, Indians, a, have a spiritual home. Oh, yeah. They have the a intellectual long history of Indian being left. on the right side. But <laughs> um, 
Yeah, they regard it as Western imperialism, neocolonialism, the exploitation of working classes through commercialism by multinational corporations, all that lovey-dovey mm. shit. Yeah, well, uh, I, yeah, pretty much agree with yeah. that. Yeah, so good. I also did fuck all. Um, not that I had anything to do, but I watched the couples wandering around and uh, just sneered and yeah, good. <laughs> went home to my little cave. That yeah. sounds like a good day. Yeah. No, it was really good, actually. I had a really good time, to be honest. We so. went and saw a movie, actually. I guess oh, okay. maybe that's sort of like a half date. Hmm. Probably not. Maybe it's yeah. one third of a date. Um, Is there anything on right now? I thought it was like all cancelled. Uh, they seem to be making movies again now. Uh, I don't really, yeah. I don't understand the logistics behind it. But um, yeah, saw a really good movie called The Little Things. Um, the Little Things. Yeah, starring uh, Denzel Washington and uh, Rami Malek as the leads, okay. with uh, Jared Leto playing a uh, very like disturbing murder suspect. Is he movie. good in that? Because I fucking hate Jared Leto. He, Jared Leto is a great actor, dude. You reckon? I hate yeah, him. I think he's really good. Yeah. I think when I saw him in Suicide Squad that I also regret watching. Um, I think that's just... the problem. I haven't seen that movie, but I would oh, okay. imagine that no actor looks good in it. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. Like The first time I saw Jared Leto was in Requiem for a Dream and thought that he fucking killed it. Right. Fucking A. That actually was really good. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, cool. and the, I think he needs to be cast as someone that you want to just punch and like yeah. he does that perfectly yeah yeah so, fair enough and he plays that role in this um, the role he plays in this film is like if Jared Leto in Requiem for a Dream kicked heroin and then like worked as a like plumber's labourer for 20 years afterwards and then just had a depressing miserable life and lived alone it's kind of mm. like him just like a, a disgusting psychotic hermit uh, that like yeah. masturbates too much um, <laughs> but I would recommend this film it's really good can't hold that against him yeah <laughs> fair enough <laughs> yeah speaking of heroin addicts uh, <laughs> before we get to our feature presentation mm. um, I was reading some interesting stuff uh, the Guardian put out. I normally hate The Guardian. I think it's yeah. like kind of trash now, um, which is sad because I felt like it used to be good. Or maybe it was always shit and I just have had a perspective change. But um, they were talking about Carl Hart, who's this like dreadlocked, um, I don't know why that was a descriptor, but he's this professor at Columbia that studies drugs, basically. And he mm -hmm. is uh, come out as a like open user of heroin and cocaine and meth. And um, I think I know about this fucking guy. Now that you would have seen him, him before. He was on Rogan as well recently. He's promoting this new book that he has. Um, right. Yeah, that's where I heard about him. Yeah, largely talking about like the fact that these drugs aren't the big deal that we make them out to be, and that mm -hmm. with you know careful and grown up use of them, they can be enjoyed, um, and uh, can help people become better people as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I also checked out the Rogan podcast on it, and I was like, I I think. You know, I kind of side on that side anyway, so there wasn't much other than confirmation bias. But yeah. interesting to see the they're trying to push it more. Like I was surprised that the Guardian even released something like that, and you know, wasn't overly critical um, of the fact that he's like basically talking about like you know productive heroin use. Yeah, that that is interesting. I'd like to read that article. So um, send me the link, please. Yeah, 
We'll include it in the show notes. Yes, we will. What's your opinion? Do you oh. think you can be a productive heroin addict? I don't think you can be a productive heroin addict, but I think you can a be a productive user. heroin user. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think I think every drug has its place. Something that a guy I worked with once, who was like a very trippy dude, said to me, which really resonated with me once, is that like, it's not about the drug, but it's about your relationship with the drug. Mm. So like you know, I I think that people can can use meth like recreationally and maybe even as like a tool to be more productive when they need it. Um, mm. I don't think people should do meth recreationally often, <laughs> but I think that, yeah, I totally think there's a world in which um, meth or crystal, whatever you want to call it, can be a non-destructive drug. Yeah. It's a shame that it's so controversial because it is used for that entire purpose under the brand name Desoxin. Um, and it has been yeah, for right. like a long time and it's actually mm-hmm. pretty, it's not like hugely prescribed, but it's like widely enough prescribed that it's, you know, not outside of the realm of possibility that you'll come across people that would be prescribed to like methamphetamine, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, I think, I think one of the largest problems with the use of a lot of drugs is that it's pretty normal to drink while you use them. So like, that's, oh, yeah. so uh, I mean, 99% of the times I've done anything, I've pretty much always either been drinking beers or wine or I've been in a club or whatever. Mm. So, like, I think a huge portion of the negative effects of, of drug use come from, you know, getting fucked up on alcohol at the same time. That's, that's kind of how I felt about everything that I've done in history is that yeah, yeah. <laughs> this I would wake be fine up and- if I wasn't drunk. Well, I mean, the few times that, and like, I mean, few times that I have not had any alcohol and consumed something, I don't feel shitty the next day. Mm. I f- wake up feeling a little tired and kind of like, bleh, you know, right old. whatever. Yeah. yeah, just sort of like maybe groggy. Mm-hmm. But every time, man, I just, oh, I know it's like a tired story and it's probably like nobody fucking cares and why would they? But every time I fucking drink now, I just like can't function the next day. It's just game over and it's like every time it gets a little worse i had six beers and um some whiskey uh last week and i was essentially just like in bed the whole next day just shell of a fucking human being you know yeah maybe your body doesn't respond well to it man yeah probably not i mean i don't think many people's body does man it's fucking horrible mm. for you, you know, it's <laughs> yeah. like it's definitely the worst thing that i've put in my body 100 percent. hamilton morris um who for the listeners who aren't aware is a very sort of prolific drug advocate and researcher um, who I would recommend uh, checking out the content of. He's a very intelligent and interesting guy. He said in a Joe Rogan podcast that uh, he doesn't drink. Like mm. alcohol is the only drug that he won't touch. And I, th- I think cigarettes as well, he said. He, he's not interested in. Because um, like alcohol always makes him feel terrible. So he'll like, you know, shoot up some fucking heroin, smoke DMT, take meth or whatever, like both like recreationally and for his research. And um, yeah, basically doesn't really describe having that many negative experiences as long as he avoids alcohol, um, which is interesting. And you can imagine it. Like I've mm. often thought about, well, in reality, all I kind of want is something to take the edge off when you go and socialize. And like what would be preferable is just like a glass with a bit of Valium in it or something. Um, 
you know, or is there just something like to just sort of lower your stress levels? Yeah. Um, it kind of sounds like I'm date raping myself, but like... <laughs> <laughs> nothing wrong with that, dude. It's better to uh, date rape yourself than have someone else do it. Yeah, true. Yeah. Yeah. I like autonomy, but <laughs> on Saturday night, I took some Valium for the first time in a really long time. And, yep. um, it, it's just a story as old as the hills, but I had just forgotten how fucking nice it is, dude. I've, I've had the same bottle of Valium for like five years or something, maybe yeah. even longer, because I used to have a subscription and I just held on to some of it after I stopped taking it. Oh, fuck yeah. So like, I love having emergency Benos. Yeah, so I just like, you know, uh, take it for flights or yeah. special occasions, I guess you could say. <laughs> and um, Like on Valentine's Day. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Jesus, it's nice, dude. Mm. Within five minutes of it getting in my body, I'm like, oh. Yeah. Yeah, it's... Feeling ready to sit down and read a book. Yeah, man. Yeah, it's just good. Like, you know, I this snobbery around uh, what is acceptable and not acceptable to take, you know, and now that cannabis is becoming another, like... Um, I guess societal sanctioned chemical that you can put into your body. It mm. is a small step towards it, but in reality, drug snobbery needs to end. There's as many fuckwits taking different substances as there are taking sanctioned ones. There's more fuckwits taking sanctioned drugs, you know? Yeah, no, yeah. exactly. Um, yeah, it's an interesting one, man. Uh, it's, it's bizarre the way that we, um, we identify certain chemicals as being yeah off limits um mm. it, it's such a horrible cliche and i hate to revert to it but i really do think that you know the reason that a lot of drugs are prohibited is because of the way that it the way that they make you view the world i mm. think they make you you know <laughs> think about things with a dangerous curiosity which yeah people it's... don't like it's this is all very good because it's slowly morphing into a nice transition but i'm going to keep the tangent going for a bit longer yeah sure. um <laughs> it, it's one of the things that really i find like deeply deeply offensive that there's that it's not something that you're allowed to do you know and, and like i fully believe that it should be something you're not allowed to do within certain areas yeah you know sure. like if you're bringing up a family or you're in a old folks home or you know you're in a suburb that is more conservative and this is just going to be a fucking rehash point at this point talking about like the importance of uh different legislation for different small areas um mm. then yeah it's not acceptable but the fact that you can't do it anywhere is so fucked up because in reality it's like you know you you can very happily jump on a fucking motorbike and smash into like a pole or you know like engage in all sorts of activities <laughs> yeah. that are like wildly dangerous but you know not that stuff and its roots are just in yeah i don't know like well you can like you can do mma and like punch someone's head in yeah and have your own head punched in and just like inflict brain damage on upon another person and bust their face open but you can't like sit at home and take some acid yeah <laughs> is, is yeah, that yeah. unbelievable yeah exactly yeah you know yeah it'll be interesting to see if it breaks down power structures and if that's part of why they keep it away or um personally i, I think that the people in charge are just the fucking like uh you know follow up like they're just the conclusion of 
the goody good class president. You know what I mean? Like the fucking idiot that, uh, the only person that would want to like be in charge of a high school, um, class who is of the same age as the students is the sort of fuckwit that gets in charge and runs drug policy and <laughs> thinks that they know yeah, what's better yeah. for everyone. Exactly. Yeah. They just want, yeah, totally. Um, yeah. power tripping. Power or, tripping. Uh, yeah. The thirst for power is an unusual one. Um, mm. I think it's an unfortunate position to be in to, um, to feel as though you don't have a great enough purpose or significance without exercising power over other people. Yeah. Well, that's probably a tale as old as time. You know, I think there's like two things that really drive people and it's wealth and power. Um, mm. And one is probably a substitute for another, um, but they're both kind of the same thing, really, you know, access to resources and the ability to dictate how those resources are enacted. Mm. Uh, which I think you see people with those inclinations end up in, you know, particular positions. And that it tends to be like politicians who want to enact policy and dictate how people live their lives because they seem to think that they know how to do it, you know, or they have some sort of special fucking gift that entitles them to tell the rest of us how to live. Um, and they're fucking snitches. The journalists. They are, yeah. They're all, um, they are. fucking, yeah, are like, and, and I don't mean all journalists. Yes, you who is listening, who's a journalist, your excuse. <laughs> <laughs> but like, um, I mean, like there's a significant portion of fucking journalists out there who seem to have the same sense of like, you know, uh, uh, what do you call it? Like white knighting of just like fucking, you know, feeling like they know how the rest of us should live or what we should think or anything. And it seems to be this extension of like the um, political class to enact what they, what they want to do. Yeah. So on that note, there was some dram that popped up when I was, you know, looking for stuff to talk about and everything. Shout out uh, to Dram the artist as well, by the way. Fucking it. Is he good? She good? He's very good. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Cool. Check him out. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I, I was like browsing Twitter, blah, blah. And there was a story that happened last year um, that has apparently hit its either conclusion or its crescendo or whatever um today which i was pretty interested about so this blog that i sometimes read not hugely i've like always been a fan of but it's just sort of like another blog in the sea of blogs that are probably good reading but also you know who the fuck has time to read all this shit um called slate star codex was mm. under fire when originally um during around the time of the pandemic um, they were before, you know, everyone realized that the CDC and the World Health Organization were complete charlatan and fucking bullshit organizations and were like urging people not to wear masks. Remember that? Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember that well. <laughs> <laughs> um, this blog, Slate Star Codex, was urging people to wear masks. And it was a controversial opinion at the time that has been wiped from fucking memory, apparently. Uh, mm. you know, by the majority of people, weirdly. So the New York Times wanted to um, do a story about them. And the guy that writes Slate Star Codex was flattered. Um, he goes by the name Scott Alexander, which isn't his real name. Um, but yeah, they, he was basically like, cool, thanks. Uh, no, I don't want to do a story because they said that they can't promise him anonymity. And yeah. that they were essentially 
by doing this story, they're just going to fucking release his name. And as it turns out, and he's, you know, publishes this quite a lot, he's a psychiatrist. And the reason that he publishes privately is he doesn't want to have his patients harassed um, or he doesn't want to have, you know, he, he publishes stuff that's like edgy and he values free speech. And yeah, of you course. Can obviously see how that would be a big issue <laughs> because um, not that anything on his blog is outrageous. I mean, I've fucking seen some things that are pretty... I don't know. It's all pretty tame. You know, it's the sort of thing when people call like Reddit this hotbed of like um, white supremacy and fucking uh, toxic masculinity. And if yeah, you I actually you. browse it, you're like, this is such bullshit because the entire place is such a fucking, um, you know, cesspit of hive mind groupthink and fucking <laughs> anything left of uh, Biden is like white supremacy. So yeah, I, don't, yeah. I don't know what subs they're browsing, but they're not the ones that I'm fucking <laughs> um, Anyway, so basically uh, he really didn't want it published and he went out and um, deleted everything out of his blog because he was really worried about getting doxxed and having and getting fired from his job. Um, which is a fucking totally legitimate fear nowadays. That that is a, such a such fear a that, that you and I were just talking about before yeah. we started. Before. Yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> <Just> something <laughs> I guess could happen. No, I, I don't know. Yeah, so yeah, it'd be um, kind of funny, but yeah, um, listener, if you want to figure out where we work and get us fired and or dox us, feel free. You won't ruin our lives. The modern guilt train keeps rolling. Yeah, it's impossible at this point, you know. Yeah. Um, I am unfireable, so I've uh, said <laughs> I, I cannot be touched by your shitty screen cap tweets and your fucking sound bites. You know? It's true. Yeah, I am, I've become death. Anyway, <laughs> so, so fucking Scott Alexander, that's not his real name, deletes everything out of his blog and writes a blog post about how he really doesn't want this to happen because he's worried about what's going to happen to his patients. He's worried about bringing um, pain onto his family and his, um, you know, employer and stuff like that. And like, would that happen? Maybe a lot of people are pissy because he like just writes articles that challenge the narrative, you know, like, should we really be getting kids hormones or, you know, stuff like that. Like, of course, it's, it's yeah. not outrageous it's just kind of challenging the fucking normal conversation discussion yeah pretty much like there's Mm. nothing in there that um i personally have found that is outrageous so that's kind of like the end of it at that point right Mm. like everybody's like he deletes his blog he just kind of pulls back from the fucking uh you know limelight and then this big petition comes up like decrying how the new york times is a shitty publication and how they shouldn't dox people if they don't want to be doxed like, you know, you have the right to anonymity, blah, blah. Um, the New York Times becomes hugely embarrassed by it. And the story just kind of falls by the wayside. So Slate Star Codex ends up getting a deal with Substack, right? And mm. comes back. And then he publishes um, under his own name to basically be like, look, I quit my job because he was, he was this, this whole fucking New York Times thing was just in the background. And he knew that it was going to come out at some point. And so there was no real protection from um, what was happening. So he quit his job. He ended up getting a deal with Substack, which is awesome that Substack fucking gave him a deal, you know? Like, they basically saved his ass. Uh, And 
upon the fucking deal that he got, the New York Times finally releases the article that they wanted to write. Only what was eventually, you know, what was originally going to be this like positive piece about, you know, uh, challenging the fucking narrative and having masks ends up becoming a full blown hit piece against him talking about um, Silicon Valley's safe space and how uh, this stuff is a hotbed for, guess what? Terrorism. What? <laughs> and hell, fascism. And then, you know, the voices included white supremacists and neo-fascists. The only people who struggled to be heard were social justice warriors. So the article says. So... The article that was fucking released by this pile of human garbage, um, who I is not, I won't be mentioning. You can find it yourself if you want, or you know, you might not agree with me and think that he's a saint. I don't, I don't care either way. Um, <laughs> essentially, just goes on to become like a massive hit piece against him, and talking about like how uh, you know he is identifying with um, people that are like anti. Uh, anti-black in a way uh, well they believe in like the bell curve theory and that he has the praise of guys like it goes on this weird long rant about how you know guys like peter Thiel who are around him um, who fucking cares man yeah right and sam oh. and just like tries to attack him doing the most arrogant fucking you know tone of just of new york times snobbery you know, of just like, I don't know, just just attacking it on these like pointless fucking issues. Yeah, of, yeah. Of him being like, oh, he's loosely associated with white supremacy and fucking all this other shit. And, and like how the rationalism and contrarianness uh, of Silicon Valley is ultimately giving rise to who can say what. Which is hilarious because the New York Times has effectively been like the fucking max censorship machine. Um, yeah, yeah, action, exactly. You know. So yeah, so this all came to pass and I was just thinking, oh fuck, here we go. Like, one, thank fuck that Substack has taken him in because a lot of people were worried that it's only a matter of time before, you know, we have someone on Substack that they censor and then it just leads to the whole fucking censorship campaign mm -hmm. um, eventually. Um, hopefully that won't happen. It doesn't have to happen. But uh, as of now, it is been pretty reasonable and they're getting people on there. Uh, there is a bunch of hits at like Glenn Greenwald as well. Um, yeah, people have, have been nipping at his heels for a while, hey. Oh, uh, yeah. So, like, people were calling, were comparing Glenn Greenwald to Slate Star Codex, uh, you know, and being accused, in his, his words, beacons of journalistic mediocrity and hive mind banality. Um, which, what? you know, sucks. Glenn Greenwald's a fucking genius. I love yeah, him. Yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, yeah. So, it's just like another classic example of seeing um you know the powers of be just try and attack anything that slightly goes against their fucking narrative and doesn't want to be subservient to them and what what pisses me off about this is that you know they obviously approached this guy wanted to write the profile on him he's like thanks but no thanks and then they punish him for not <clears throat> cooperating and it's like well it's like a this is the New York Times making a public display of somebody and being like, this is what happens when you don't cooperate with the narrative that we want to push. Yeah. Like, we'll so you can either fascist. do it. Yeah. So like we can, it's our way or the highway essentially is what they're doing, mm. which is so filthy and dirty. Oh, it's disgusting. And it shows no um, 
fucking integrity whatsoever. Absolutely. So, you know, I think right around the time, it might have been just before. Uh, hold on, I'll actually just check the times. My, not, <laughs> there's certainly not my new favorite article, uh, sorry, news publication, but I definitely enjoy them. Yeah, it was right at the same time, the New York Post released this thing that said half of New York Times employees feel that they can't speak freely. Um, I'm sure, yeah. On an internal survey that was leaked to them and say that there's not a free exchange of ideas and that going against sort of like the company group think their people are worried that they're going to lose their jobs which is like absolutely fucking happened mm. funnily enough there's 49 percent of employees that feel they can speak freely so i wonder where they fall on the <laughs> yeah exactly yeah um so i yeah. came across an interesting story recently which is um it's published on the daily wire which I don't, I don't know a lot about The Daily Wire, but I get the suspicion that it is a pretty blatantly conservative publication. Um, yeah. I should check into it a bit more. So, you know, like, I'll, I'll say this with the preface that um, this article was probably not written completely objectively, but where there is oh. smoke, there's fire. Um, You're asking too much in this day. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but um, it, it was pretty hilarious nonetheless. This was published uh, yesterday by Ash Show. Um, the headline is Oregon promotes program focused on quote dismantling racism in mathematics says finding the right answer a sign of white supremacy <laughs> and basically it goes on to explain this new uh, teacher training program that they're rolling out which is encouraging teachers to um, <laughs> to uh, encourages teachers to sign up for the training uh, which includes a section with 14 things associated with white supremacy culture, including perfectionism, objectivity, and individualism. Objectivity no is described in the workbook accompanying the training as the belief that there is such a thing as being objective or neutral. The mm. program's toolkit also encourages teachers not to focus on a single correct answer, but to come up with at least two answers that might solve this problem and to challenge standardized test questions by getting the right answer, but justify other answers by unpacking the assumptions that are made in the problem. Yeah. The toolkit also asks instructors to center ethno-mathematics in multiple ways, one of which is to identify and challenge the ways that math is used to uphold capitalist, imperialist, and racist views. <laughs> this is so fucked. It's fucking hilarious, eh? Hey? Yeah. Uh, oh, it's pretty, just, pretty like, amazing fucking ridiculous i mean it's just, it's it's like beyond irony i mean you know you can just imagine like a fucking skit about a teacher freaking out with all these kids trying to find um you know i didn't want to say it but like it's just fucking it's just like i can see yeah i want to say it but i'm not gonna say it we'll you know. say it what no what no, do no. you th okay all right yeah. well you you know what sure come on everybody fucking knows right like or am maybe, I just, maybe like, I'm am missing I the elephant in the room here. Eh? Oh, maybe I'm right. missing the elephant in the room here. Well, I mean, the whole thing just screams of this fucking guy who's trying, who's freaked out because of all these kids trying to find like the final solution. So you know, and he's, he's going on about like racist mathematics <laughs> and shit. <laughs> That's what I was catching on to. Like, you know. Yeah. Right. I get you. Yeah. Um, um, which is. God, it's so fucking ridiculous. The, the yeah. fact that that's not satire is just depressing. Uh, right? It's pretty pretty yeah. extraordinary. Yeah, yeah. You know, well, you know, and I guess there are multiple solutions to some mathematical problems. There doesn't have to be just one. But uh... <laughs> <laughs> I agree with you, uh, but I don't think that has anything to do with race. No. 
Yeah. Pretty sure, like, you know, the Egyptians built the pyramids using some pretty precise math. Yeah. And I don't think they were big on white supremacy. Yeah. So, uh, you know, yeah, yeah, true. there you go. Yeah. You never know. Some of their, their astronomical uh, calculations and study of the planets and stars was probably done with some uh, yeah. objective science, I would venture to say. Oh, it's, it's such a desperate plea for um, power. So I actually got pretty into this whole thing. And I was thinking like, hmm, you know, once again, um, let's try and figure out the, the macro narrative uh, that's going on here. So um, I found another thing that, you know, and, and like there's no shortage of these examples of fucking um, sort of traditional media companies trying to do takedowns of things that they find threatening or that they don't want around. We saw it with the GameStop story where they're, you know, suddenly, um, you know, we were the victims of Russian disinformation, uh, which is funny because being part of the fucking story from the beginning, um, well, not the beginning, but, you know, from the early stages of it. Um, I can assure you that we're not Russian and neither is Rod. And as far as we know, neither is uh, deep fucking value. Um, Who, by the way, is being forced to testify to um, uh, Congress. Yeah, that is fucked up, man. That is an absolute... Yeah, it's a a violation of decency and justice, in my opinion. Oh, fucking... Like, watch his videos, dude. And then it clears the whole thing up, you know, from the fucking beginning. Yeah. Um, So... Ray Dalio was also attacked uh, last year, granted, but he was under fire by, of all people, the Wall Street Journal, who I always considered to be reasonably good. But I mean, Reuters and the Wall Street Journal have sort of been on the slippery slide as well, I guess, in terms of like integrity. Um, When the Wall Street Journal was saying that the second top female executive at Bridgewater says the firm paid her less than men, you know, which is bullshit. She never actually fucking said that. And it turns out that she really? had, yeah, she had like um, tried to correct their statement and said, no, that's not why I was paid less. I was paid less for other reasons. Um, they were basically like, they replied saying that, uh, you know, there's this big fucking text that they included in, in the formal statement that Bridgewater put out, Ray Dalio's firm, and said that the discretion is ours when we write a story. So mm, they wow. just fully fucking lied and tried to spin Bridgewater into the sexist organization for whatever spin they're trying to do to, you know, do a hit piece on fucking Ray Dalio. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and it's like the problem is, is like, who's going to go to fucking Bridgewater and read their fucking reply? Who's going to read Ray Dalio's fucking tweets on the matter? You know, mm. no, the damage is done. These fucking idiots are like totally out there trying to distort the fucking narrative um, and mm. use these classic issues that you can't fucking route like who can argue if you argue against this then you're a sexist you know like if you come out um in favor of slate stark codex you're probably a fucking white supremacist right so and often what they do is like when papers publish these articles which are then revealed to be untrue like they will uh publish uh corrections or redactions or apologies but on like the bottom of the ninth page or whatever (laughs) Um, yeah, exactly. And, and where no one fucking sees it. And they'll do it like three weeks later once the story has already like whipped up um, yeah. a, a fury and, and passed already. And then yeah. anyone who does stumble upon the redaction is just like, what is this about? Whatever. Doesn't oh, matter. The lawyers um, who are trying to fucking, you know, just to protect them from getting their ass sued for libel. Mm. Um, so I was thinking, you know, okay, this is interesting. I wonder if there's a uh, story here 
that fits into a larger narrative. This sort of thing must have happened before. You know, when you have like the hegemonic uh, media um, or, you know, controllers of communication dictating what is and is not allowed and trying desperately. And it turns out there's these lectures that was done by this guy called Harold, Harold Innes and mm. is really interesting. He talks about the flow of communication and control and power and how that's uh, been, how that's sort of like gone throughout time. And he essentially breaks it down into two different types of communication that these, uh, that the powers that be have, or sorry, communication that we all use. And it's like time-based communication um, or time-based mechanisms of communication that tries to preserve tradition throughout time. And they tend to be like oral traditions and metaphors and, you know, uh, people respecting the wisdom of elders that ends up being closer to law as opposed to um, things that are written or things that are sort of faster that spread faster over space. So there's like, you can either have media that spreads really, really quickly, like the papers or the newspaper or, um, you know, like just any form of shareable content that nowadays it'd be tweets or fucking whatever. Mm. And you can instantly spread something, but it doesn't have a sticking effect. It just has a destructive effect. Right. Or, yeah. you know, time um, based communication, which is, you know, the stories of your parents passed down to you and, and um, they tend to be more like oral communication, whatever. Yeah. Um, and he talks about a lot about the, uh, Western civilization's favor of space-based communication. I don't, I don't mean like, you know, space, but yeah, communication yeah, no, that, that dominates sense. space um, uh -huh. as opposed to time-based communication, which is something that's more favored in, uh, you know, Asian cultures and, and everything that people would rather talk in like metaphor, which is something I've seen in there, like when I read Chinese news and stuff that you just think there's like weird metaphors and analogies through it. Yeah. Um, or the way that like descent is like weirdly like done through analogy and metaphor, which I personally quite like. And and that one example uh, that springs to mind of that is recently like Kim Jong Un said that Joe Biden is a dog that needs to be beaten with a stick. <laughs> like specifically those words, and it's like yeah. oh okay yeah <laughs> yeah interesting way to put it <laughs> yeah yeah. That's awesome. I hope that was a metaphor or maybe he was just being serious, you know, and, and everything. So anyway, the destruction of Rome in part, Harold and his communication lectures attributed to the fact that the uh, powers that be tried to create written law to and spread it. And they did it with using paper and spread it to the far reaches of the kingdom to basically enact how people should act and everything. And it was a new technology that they could, you know, leverage to fucking um, counter how people are meant to be behaving. Yeah. But that didn't work very well because people would rather listen to their elders. They would rather their tradition, um, you know, as a way to live and a way to act that ultimately saw the powers in charge kind of just fucking fall into, you know, weakness um, because they couldn't control like time tested tradition, which ultimately lost out. So when I was thinking about this, it was interesting to note like how the newspaper, and this is going to be like, I'm hoping this will like weave together, but it might not weave no, together I, as much I as I think it's to. definitely um, going to. Yeah. Yeah. The newspapers are essentially doing the same thing and doing everything they can to like capitalize on, you know, like, quick fire shit 
and attacking tradition and attacking like you know things that would otherwise be um tested time tested fucking uh principles like freedom of speech and the freedom of discourse and using whatever they can to try and bring it down through like these new forms of communication you know like doing like like takedown tweets and fucking hit pieces mm. and ultimately you know guys like slate star codex and um you know i guess dalio who talks about tradition and you know the importance of uh knowledge that is passed down through tradition um trying to get fucking taken down by these organizations yeah that's that's super interesting and that's such an awesome analogy that you you found there with um like the fall of rome Hmm. i guess another thing that springs to mind is that it, it seems like these uh, media entities want to use their sort of, you know, monopoly on physical media or space-based media, like you just said, mm. to enforce sort of like a, a uniformity. Um, and if you think back to the Roman Empire, who had obviously like a huge uh, diversity and different religious groups and um, ethnicities and different cultures and backgrounds and societies who had different ways of life Mm. and then they they wanted to try and implement um, Roman sort of modern institutions in the far-flung corners of the empire trying to build Hadrian's Wall across the top half of the United Kingdom so that they could keep order within the bottom half uh, where their their power could reach to you see the same thing happening now where like particularly in the united states where you have a huge like diaspora or diaspora i'm never sure how that word should be pronounced but you know you have all of these um rich interesting different ethnic groups or in groups or different communities whether they be um based around you know, like uh, an Ethiopian or Jewish heritage or like a group of people who really like boxing or whatever. Mm. And they're all being told that their interests and values mean less and less and that they need to fall in line to this sort of modern set of principles that these institutions see as moving society forward the same way that the ancient Romans did. And they're trying to centralize power rather than have power, you know, dispersed in, in these communities, which I think is is more valuable i think when you have a state built on the backs of many powerful groups then you have something much more likely to last a long time oh the most racist thing that i fucking feel in modern history um or you know modern day is like the adoption of the term people of color to describe and paint every fucking you know like (laughs) what you're saying when you say that is (laughs) non-white and you know like Mm. It's just to paint people with this broad brush and it destroys the like uh you know nuances within those cultures and absolutely makes them special or it's like the same thing when the dems were like latinx instead of latino latina and yeah. it's just like you are just they don't use those fucking terms you know like it, yeah suddenly you don't have other cultures you have uh you know whites and non-whites and that's essentially all they're fucking saying rather than acknowledging the diversity of it. You know, and they think they can capture the market. This is um, one of the things that I am, frankly, I think will happen. I don't think there's much money in in this attitude. I don't think there's much money in being a New York Times hit piece article, or, or, you know, I don't think there's much money in trying to impeach Trump. I don't think there's much power in it either. 
I don't think that they're actually gaining from this. I think they're slowly eating themselves away, which is probably mm. different to the fall of Rome. Um, or maybe it's well, the same as the fall of Rome. I, I think they're not gaining a lot in terms of um, finance, but I think they are gaining power. Um, but to your point about the, the broad brush term of people of color, I'm just going to say that hits really close to home to me because like my wife, Francisca, has like what I think is such a like interesting and like beautiful sort of uh, mix of heritage. So like on her father's side, he was like part Spanish and part indigenous Uruguayan. Mm. And on her mother's side, she was half Persian and half Jewish. Mm. So like for Francisca, she has multiple things to be proud of in her heritage. And I can go to her her mother's house and talk to her mother and her grandfather about their backgrounds and it's it's so fascinating and fucking it enriches my life like yeah. as a just as a, a european white person and mm. for people to sort of pry into our world and try and just tell me that my wife isn't this like beautiful interesting individual but like is a person of color and part of this just amalgamous mass yeah. is fucking horrible, dude. Oh, you know, right. I, yeah. like this is, I don't yeah. often get, like I kind of intentionally try not to get sort of like intense or emotional on this podcast when I talk about my wife. But like yeah. that to me drives me fucking insane. Like yeah. don't you dare try and take away her identity. That is fucked up. Well, and that's exactly what it's doing, right? Like it's yeah. just such a, it's such a fucking bullshit term. And it's just another way to, um, you know, paint with a broad brush, box everyone into like the oppressed and the oppressor, uh, mm. you know, cause you can do that a lot easier with uh, whites and non-whites, you know, it's, it's mm. a lot harder to do that with, um, and that's what it is. I, I fucking hate the term person of color because you're not saying that you're saying whites and non-whites. That's all you're fucking saying. Like, yeah. um, you, you know, know, you know what, what else is fucked up about this that only what? just occurred to me is that like, there are so many implications being made in the media and in politics right now that would suggest that living under the same roof as Francisca and her sister, who both share the same heritage, that yeah. I am implicit in making their lives worse. Oh, yeah. You're like, right? Yeah. How You're fucking in. absolutely offensive is that? Like, I wake up every single day and I try and be the best person I can to both of them. And I try and add value to their lives in the best way that I can, whether or not I succeed. Sure, different question. But to, to imply that you know, to yeah. apply anything else other than that is just fucking ridiculous, man. Yeah, yeah. No, it's disgusting. So it's yeah. like the standard grasp for power, I think, by um, the dying institutions to, you know, use these tactics to try and fucking uh, spread their message far and wide, destroy tradition and just, you know, seek to fucking further gain power and everything. Uh, Harold Innes had this great quote that I was trying to find um it's uh his political lesson uh wasn't from him canadian scholar arthur crocker writes innes's political lesson was clear the united states was now a fully space-oriented society with no inner coordinating principle and no organic conception of lived tradition time succession or duration which might act as an inner check against the politics of imperialism um and Man. he said he died in the 1950s, which is crazy because he effectively was talking about like... He predicted um, the future. <laughs> yeah, well, it's just another... There's another guy like this we talked on a previous episode of the pod um, that had talked about like the sensationalism to and, and rise of celebrity. 
mm. um, and ultimately, you know, destruction of like actual content in the news, uh, <laughs> which is bad because, you know, you look back on that time, you think, well, fuck, the articles were like much better back then. Yeah. Um, he'd be turning over in his grave right now. This, yeah. this Harold Innes guy looks like he's done some fucking really interesting work. Oh, um, yeah. That like um, I've been scrolling through a bit of info about him while we've been talking. Um, he's he's got a few books. One of them called Empire and Communications, which even if you ignore our discussion about agendas and whatnot, seems like it would just be a really interesting take on history. And yeah. another one, the fur trade in Canada. You know, like to to approach that with a communications perspective would just be a really fascinating sort of job or thing thing to work on like i really love when individuals approach like a very small niche subject like the fur trade in canada which to you and i seems as obscure as anything probably for a canadian it's a lot more you know grounded at home i just forgot i just forgot that you were canadian that's pretty funny (laughs) um and then apply like a a deep theoretical and philosophical sort of like frame to it and just Mm. dissect it for no specific point other than just to be curious and to be like i wonder how this works with that and just take Mm. two things together and just fucking i I find those sorts of projects or books really fascinating well i've always loved how um there's lessons for you know the timeless lessons and these weird little stories in history um or weird little stories even you know nowadays there's just like like you know, it's it's a lot of this stuff is as applicable now as it was back then. It's yeah, like when you absolutely. read those like old Russian novels, you know, like they're fucking so relevant, more relevant. You know, it's just, it's fucking incredible. Like the stories in the Brothers Karamazov just dictate so much of how you should navigate the world. I think nowadays. Um, Speaking of old Russian novels, do yeah. you believe at all in destiny? Um, sort of in in a weird way that i will clarify by saying that i believe in uh opportunism and i think that wherever there's opportunity opportunists will try and take advantage of that which is Mm -hmm. in and of itself a kind of form of fate that makes sense like yeah yeah it's just it's inevitable that opportunity will pop up and it's inevitable that people will take advantage of that if they have the right pair of eyes Mm. so so the reason i ask is because like i have recently become pretty invested in like lex friedman and his his podcast and by extension some of the things he talks about and i think he's just an incredible dude who i have a massive amount Mm. of respect for i don't know a lot about ai so when he talks about technical issues i i you know struggle to take a lot of that in but I really appreciate what he does because of like his curiosity and appreciation for sort of beauty, for lack of a better word, um, and the fact that he finds beauty in a lot of bizarre places. Um, and the reason that I bring up Destiny is because for a long time, Lex Friedman has spoken about his like desire to do a podcast with Vladimir Putin, um, which you might already be aware of, but he talks about that. Yeah, loosely. Yeah. yeah. Um, so basically because he's in the unique position to be born in the Soviet Union, but to have moved to the United States as a child and still speak very fluent Russian and obviously very fluent English, um, he feels as though he can bridge the gap 
like the cultural divide between the West and, and Putin um, and, and allow Putin to really discuss his, his thoughts on the world and on Russia the most eloquent way that he's had the opportunity to to date. Yeah. And like the, the reason that he, he says this is because he, he says that Russian is an unusual language and that there's a lot of nuance that is lost in translation. Um, there's a, a sort of bizarre sort of like depth and romanticism to Russian culture and language that most Western people can't understand. And that even though Putin speaks English pretty well, there is still a lot of sort of like intricacy and nuance lost. And then particularly once you filter Putin's English through Western media, it becomes even more watered down. And mm. anyway, so yesterday Lex tweeted uh, suggesting that uh, Elon Musk, Lex Friedman and Putin should do a podcast together. And like that sounds mind boggling and amazing and confusing at the same time. And, um, you know, he like... Um, uh, outed like the Russian embassy or the Russian government social media account or something. And I had this weird feeling of like inevitability when I read that based on nothing, but I just had a, an itch or something. And I was like, I think it's going to happen. I'm not saying that he's going to do a podcast with Elon and Putin, but I think eventually Putin and Lex Friedman will fucking meet. And I think they're going to have a conversation and I think it's going to be earth shattering. I don't, I can't explain why, but I just feel as though he is manifesting his own destiny. I think he's, and I don't normally get weird on this like spiritual tip, you know, but I really yeah. think that Lex Friedman is willing this into existence. I've, I've felt like it was a thing of beauty to see him just like push that idea and he just keeps fucking going with it. Oh, he's man. not giving up. That's so interesting because that's like, you know, the two, is Elon the archetypal like, like, is he Mr. America now? It, it, like, when you think about back in the day, right? Um, you know, what really defined America back in the earlier days was probably, like, uh, was it Rockefeller? Was most likely, like, the pinnacle, like, you know, poor guy becomes yeah, yeah, I get multi-billionaire. You. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, that's the story of America is that anybody can get rich. Yeah, um, and um, and I think, speaking of destiny, like, the concept of manifest destiny... Yeah. You know, that the United States was both destined and obliged to expand mm. west, westwards and claim all of that land under their yeah. name because that was opportunity and they were uniquely positioned to seize it. And that was mm. their very purpose. Yeah, because I always imagine it was a country of big ideas. And, the, and like the, mm. it wasn't the presidents that made the country great. It was the fucking pioneers. Like, exactly, yeah. Like, you know, like Rockefeller. Like, um, I'm just trying to think of, you know characters that sort of describe the nation i i guess you know I, I can see why people would love reagan because he was probably like a similar character that was uh you know like a credible not an incredible actor but you know make your own decision i don't, I don't think he was <laughs> but you know just like uh made it in fucking tv and then made it to the to being a president um mm -hmm. and then throughout the entirety of the history there's also been characters like that that just seem so american just like you know i mean like lebron james lebron james uh, sure i actually know nothing about him but fucking i'll take yeah. the word on that one um yeah i know i know what you're saying though yeah and and musk i guess like bezos seems like a fucking weird 
I don't feel like him encapsulating the same American dream that Musk does, where it's just like big mm. ideas, bold ideas, big personality is the fucking key one. Yeah. He seems American, you know? Yeah, he does. I and think I think you're right. And obviously I Obviously being a, a symbol of strength as well. What a fucking great podcast that would be. It would be fucking extraordinary, man. Um, yeah. And, and you know, the, the same way that I feel Lex is just like, clawing himself closer to destiny it, it made me think man i i feel as though if we if we keep pushing with modern guilt i think we're gonna have some fucking landmark moments you know um oh, we already had rod <laughs> well exactly that's what i was thinking man like we've yeah we've already played a little part in a little piece of history mm. yeah it just got me excited and i'm not yeah i'm not making like bold predictions and i'm not saying that we that our fucking destiny is to interview jesus i don't know elon or some shit but it was just just an exciting thing for me to ponder hey, and it was a nice glimpse into this hope and um, as long as we can uh continuing the tradition of time-based communication and upholding tradition and uh being wary of the space-based you know mm -hmm. um rigid boxed fucking laws of how you should act i'm all for that because i hate that shit uh, you know. Our listeners can be a part of upholding that tradition <laughs> as well by engaging with us on social media. Um, yeah, I've had a lot of follows lately. I need to uh, start tweeting. That's on my fucking to-do list this this week. So I'll schedule something. <laughs> to do tweet. Uh, yeah. Seriously though, listeners, get in touch with us. Tell us what you like or don't like about the pod. Recommend some some topics for us to touch on if you like. Ask us some questions, critique us, anything. Follow us on Instagram at Modern Guilt Pod. On Twitter, guilt underscore modern. Or if you want to be really nice and you want to be one of our favorite people, then go to Patreon forward slash Modern Guilt and subscribe to our exclusive content for five USDs per month, which will uh, A, make us feel good about ourselves, B, support the podcast, by providing us with the important financial means to uh, <laughs> carry on. And C, unlock uh, exclu exclusive monthly content for you um, in the form of podcasts in which we thoroughly research and discuss one stock per week and provide you with um, a lot of data and models projecting the performance of that company forward, including a target price and we will both offer our independent thoughts on whether or not we think uh, it's a buy, hold, or sell. Or if, honestly, we are inconclusive, because sometimes mm -hmm. that just happens. You can do all the work and not have a fucking answer. Anyway. In the immortal words of Z's, we're all going to make it. So I actually <laughs> found there was a, uh, to also end, I know we were meant to put like the paragraph at the start, but um, I just I'm just fucking eyeing it up, and it's so good. Uh, yes. That I will say it now. I mean, I can, I'll put it at the start. <laughs> Just edit it into the start. Yeah, I'll, I'll... Dependence on organized power and a traditional antipathy to colored peoples weakens political sensitivity and lack of experience with problems of continuity and empire threatens the Western world with uncertainty and war. Innes was among the first to suggest that the U.S. had lost the balance between power and knowledge essential to its long-term survival. Beautiful. As relevant then as it is today. That's fucking really interesting, man. That's a that's a great paragraph. Really ties into the whole um, 
people of color fucking narrative. Anyway, mm. yeah, subscribe, yeah. hit us up. Uh, looking forward to the next one that's coming up. Yeah, some... next week we're doing UNFI, and it's, it's it's an interesting one. I feel a lot to say about it. Mm. Uh, and one of our subscribers recently requested that next month we do Fisker, the California electric vehicle company, which we will do. So stay tuned for that and thank you for supporting us. Uh, let's leave it at that. Cool. Um, thanks again for listening. Take it easy and uh, take care. See you next time. Thank you.